Today we start a brand new series titled Dollars and Cents, What the Bible Really Says About Money. And I think this is important because there are a lot of myths concerning what the Bible says about money. Some people think that the Bible says that money is the root of all evil. Well, that's not true. The Bible says the love of money is a root of all evil. Others believe that the church is only out to get your money. Have you ever heard that one before? The church is only out to get your money, and that idea somehow comes from the Bible. Well, that's not true. God doesn't need your money. In fact, in Psalm 50, God says, If I were hungry, I wouldn't tell you. See how silly that is? If God would come to us because He needs our money. So God says very plainly, If I were hungry, I wouldn't tell you, for the world is mine and all that is in it. So that's a myth. And, and other people just get real upset when they hear that the sermon is going to be about money. I've, I've heard it said that uh, people say that they don't think the church is a place to talk about money. What they ignore, though, is that Jesus spoke a lot about money. The people who say, we shouldn't talk about money. We should talk about love and, and grace and joy and peace. Well, the reality is that Jesus taught more about money than he did about grace and love and joy and peace. And probably taught more about money than all those things combined. He taught a lot about money. Half his teachings, half of Jesus' teachings had to do with money and possessions. In fact, if I were to preach about money here at Solid Rock, as often as Jesus taught about money in the Gospels, then you would hear a sermon about money every other week. Because that's how often he spoke about money. And so uh, there are people who get upset. They say but that doesn't belong in, in the sermon. But it does. And we'll talk later on about why Jesus taught so much about money. There's a reason. We'll get there here in just a minute. Other people don't get mad with a sermon about money. But they get really nervous. They get really nervous. Now, I don't know why. Maybe they think that. That the preacher is going to try to get all their money somehow, uh, get all their money from their account. Uh, don't be nervous about that. That's not going to happen. But what I, what I do want you to do right now is I want you to do this for me. If you would, I want you to, to uh, go to, uh, to the person or turn to the person closest to you that's not your family member. All right? Just kind of in front of you, behind you. And I want you to tell them how much money you make in a year. Can you do that? No, I'm kidding. Don't do that. Don't do that. Somebody looking at me like... Whoa, really, Pastor? No, but what I do want you to do is I want you to go to that person, turn to that person, and tell them how much debt you have. How much? No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. There again. Yeah, that's not any better, right? Because like, money is very personal, right? And so that's, maybe that's why we start getting nervous. Like, oh, no, he's going to talk about money. What's he going to do? Am I going to have to share where I am in, in my financial life? No, I don't want you to be nervous. You know, unless, of course, you have something to be nervous about then it might actually be a good thing to deal with this head on. Just like Jesus dealt with it head on. So I want us to go to Matthew 6.24 and see what Jesus said about this. And then we'll read some verses after 24. We'll go from um, verses 25 through 32. But for right now, Matthew 6.24, Jesus said this, No one can serve two masters. 
Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. All right, so this is one of Jesus' many teachings. No one can serve two masters. That means all of us here fall under this, right? No one means everyone. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. All right, so one of Jesus' many teachings about money. And in this teaching, he gets right to the heart of the matter. This is the heart of the matter. The heart of the matter is, who is the master of your life? That's the issue, right? It's not how much money you make and how much money you spend. And those things are important. And we'll get to, we'll talk about that later in this series. But first and foremost, the heart of the matter is, who is a master in your life? Now, the word master here is is an interesting word. Jesus said, no one can serve two masters. And uh, it's, it's not like a boss. Jesus is not saying, you can't have two bosses. Well, you know what? You can have two bosses. Some of you may have two bosses. If you have two jobs, then you have two bosses. Now, if you have two bosses at the same job, then that might create some problems. But you can have two bosses. All right? How many of you have two bosses? Anybody? No, for counting your wife as a boss. No, it doesn't count. But yeah, okay. Some of you have uh, two bosses. Now, what the word master means is not like a boss, but the word master really means... An owner. Jesus is saying, you can't have two owners in your life. You can't have two owners that own you, two people that own you, two things that own you. It's not possible. You can try to have two owners, but you're going to hate one and love the other, or you're going to be devoted to one and despise the other. It's, it's not possible. Two people who own you. It's impossible. Both owners would be as I said, mutually exclusive. Now, it's a great point and it's understandable, right? Yeah, okay, okay, I get it, I get it. We can't have two owners. But then Jesus throws his listeners a curve when he says at the end, you cannot serve both God and money. See, we would expect him to say, you can't have two owners, you can't have two masters, you can't serve God and Satan. He doesn't say you can't serve God and Satan. We would understand that. So just when we think we're getting this point, okay, yeah, you can have two owners. You know, you're going to hate one and despise it. Okay, I get it. Then he says, you cannot serve both God and money. We're like, money? Whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm, I'm not getting this. Why money? Why God versus money? Well, again, these words get to the heart of the matter. Because remember, we're talking about who the owner is. Uh, we're talking about who owns us or what owns us. Something owns us or someone owns us. And the question is who or what. In fact, this is a reason that Jesus taught so much about money. This is a reason why half his teachings were about money and possessions. Because how we view money and how we respond to money, how we manage money, is perhaps the clearest demonstration of the condition of our hearts. It might be the clearest demonstration of who really owns us, who the owner and master really is of our hearts. So when Jesus sets up the issue as being between God and money, he's saying that money 
And here's the first point. That money and the things that money promises, money is the chief competitor for your heart, for the devotion of your heart. Money and what money promises is a chief competitor for the devotion of our hearts. The battle in our hearts is between God and money, right? This morning, none of you got up and said, I don't know if I should worship God or worship Satan. No, you didn't say that. But you might have said, should I give my tithe to God or should I keep it? Because we need it. See, that's where the tension is. That's the issue. That's the battle between God and money. There's a battle in your heart. And there's a battle for your heart. And it's between God and money. You may be struggling to trust God with your finances when it seems so counterintuitive to do that. It doesn't seem to make any sense. You might be wrestling with giving to God what, what is rightfully His. That's the struggle between God and money. So the question is, for each one of us, who's winning this battle in my life? Who's really the master of my heart? Who's really the owner of my heart? Every week, or every two weeks, whenever you get paid, you have money in your hands, or you have money in your account. But the question is, Do you have that money or does that money have you? Do you own that money or does that money own you? Do you possess it or does it possess you? Well, that's a good question. How do I know? I mean, I want to know how do I know if I own the money or if it owns me? Well, fortunately, Jesus answers that question as he continues this teaching and he lets us in on how to know that we're trusting God, how to ensure we're trusting God and not money. So let's look at the rest of this passage from verse 25. Matthew 6, 25. Therefore I tell you. Now therefore, the word therefore connects us to the previous verse that said you cannot serve both God and money. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Right, so the first thing he tells us here is how how we should deal with the things that, that we need that money can buy. And the first thing he says is don't be overly concerned about the things money can buy. Whether there are things that, that are basic that we need to survive, or maybe things that, that we don't need but we want. He says, don't be overly concerned about the things money can buy. When he says, do not worry about your life, about what you're going to wear, what you're going to eat, he's not saying to be careless. He's not saying that we can be lazy. Just leave everything to God. Just be passive. You don't have to work. Pastor said, I don't have to work because I don't have to worry, so I'm going to quit my job. God will provide. No, he's not saying that. In fact, the Bible says the opposite. Um, Paul says, if a man will not uh, work, neither should he eat. All right? So he's not saying be careless, but he is saying this. He's saying get your mind in the right place. 
Get your mind in the right place. Don't seek after money and the things that money can buy. That's a wrong place. The problem is that we can start off being concerned over our material needs. And that leads us to be, if our mind is not in the right place, that leads us to be overly concerned over uh, about our material possessions. And before we know it, a sinister type of greed takes over. We start off thinking about how to provide for our children, how to provide the basics for our family. And that takes a turn toward, I have to have the best of the best because I deserve it because they're my kids. They deserve it because it's my family. Because I work hard, I deserve the best of the best. And how did that happen? We were, you know, here we were just worrying about the basics and then it took a turn toward greed. That's what happens when our mind is not in the right place and when we're seeking after the things that money can buy. Our minds deceive us. Have you ever thought about this? And my guess is that you haven't. But can you imagine for a moment, what would your, what would your life be like if you had no idea what other people owned or how much money they made. Now you probably don't know how much money your neighbors make. You know your coworkers, your uh, maybe your coworkers you have an idea, but your neighbors, your friends, maybe you don't really know how much money they make. But you have a general idea because of where they live, their house, their cars, how they dress. So you have a, a, a general, you know, or at least a vague idea. But what if you didn't know? What if there was a way that you had no idea what other people owned? How much they own, how much they made. What if, if somehow we had, we had blinders, some kind of spiritual blinders that kept us from knowing those things about other people. And it was just about us and we knew how much we made and how much we could afford to, to uh, spend and so on. What do you think, what would your clothes look like? What would your clothes look like if you were somehow kept from seeing and knowing how other people dressed? If you had no idea how other people dressed, what would your clothes look like? Would it make a difference? What would your house look like if you had no idea where other people lived and what their houses looked like? If you couldn't go to somebody's house and say, wow, that's a nice house. How does he afford that? If you couldn't do any of that, it was just where you live. What would your house look like? What would your car look like? What kind of car would you drive? See, it's all very sinister. It's all very sinister how the enemy causes us to take our eyes off of God and how God meets our needs, and He causes us to place them on what we wish we could have. We develop this powerful desire to acquire, and we're moved or motivated by desire to acquire. And Jesus spoke to this in another portion of Scripture, in Luke 12, 15. Jesus said this, Watch out! Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Because life does not consist in the abundance or an abundance of possessions. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. See, that's where, if our mind is not in the right place, that's where this thought process leads us. To believe that life is about possessions and about an abundance of possessions. How many of you have in your house more than one item of which you only need one item, but you have more than one? Because, yeah, I mean, you just, you just want to have another one because it was on sale. 
You know what? If you didn't need it, then you didn't save any money, even if it was on sale. But we buy things we don't need. We buy things that we already have stuff, you know, same thing at home. Because we buy into this lie that life is about an abundance of possessions. There's more to life than that. That's what Jesus is saying. There's more to life than possessions and an abundance of possessions. So then we go back to Matthew 6, verse 28. And he continues and he says, And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? And he's saying, don't. Spend an excessive amount of time worrying about those material things. Then verse 32 is is key. For the pagans run after all these things. And your heavenly father knows that you need them. So again, he says, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things. And God already knows that you need them. Your heavenly father knows that you need them. What is he saying here? And I find that. Verse 32, very interesting and convicting when he says, For the pagans run after all these things. And I think what he's saying is that an overemphasis on the material things of this world is a sign of an unbeliever. In other words, an an overemphasis on the material things of this world is a sign of someone who is owned by money instead of God. Who is controlled by money Instead of God. See, that, that could be kind of a scary insight that maybe some of you are having. If you're serious, if, if you're honest with yourself, and as you listen to this and as you read this, it could be kind of an unsettling feeling you might be having right now where you're thinking, Wow, am I being controlled by money? Here I thought that I was fully surrendered to God, but... I mean, if, if I'm overly, overly emphasizing the things of this world, what does that say about me? That's a good question. That's a good question. I think we all need to ask that question, every one of us. What is the condition of my heart? Who owns my heart? I mean, whom am I trusting? Or what am I trusting? Am I trusting in, in my ability to earn a living? And boy, I can... You know, I, I, can, I can, because I'm, I'm good at my job, I can earn money. Am I trusting in that or am I trusting in, in God? Pagans, unbelievers, go after the material. That's a sign of an unbeliever. That's a sign of someone who is owned and controlled by money rather than God. Kind of a scary thought. So, so what's the answer? And I'm so glad that Jesus doesn't stop there. And that Jesus gives us the answer. Because I said earlier... He's trying to tell us, don't place your mind, <clears throat> excuse me, don't let your mind, don't let your mind go after the material and how to make more money. And I mean, yeah, we have to work, we have to provide for our family. But when our mind goes in that direction all the time, then that's where we end up. And this unbridled greed, abundance of, abundance of possessions. So what's the answer? Jesus tells us, verse 33, but... 
Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. That's, that's the answer. See, first he tells us, look, you, you can be possessed by money. And that's a sign of an unbeliever. That's a sign of someone who doesn't know God. Or you can seek God's kingdom and his righteousness. And then God will give you all those things you've been worrying about. He will provide all those things that you need in your life. The answer to the problem of worry. And all worry is, is negative meditation, right? All worry is, is thinking, thinking about one thing over and over. A negative thought. The answer to the problem of worry is to seek God and His kingdom first. The, the key word here is first. He doesn't just say, seek God and His kingdom He says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. The answer to the problem of worry is to seek God and his kingdom first. The answer to the greed that slowly develops in our hearts is to seek God and his kingdom first. Because when we seek God and all things related to his kingdom first, we make God and not money the master of our lives. That's how we do it. By seeking God first. This is an issue of priorities. Place God first in your finances. That's why the tithe is the first 10%. That's clear in scripture. It's the first 10%. It's not, if I have money left over, I'll give him an offering. I'll even give him the 10%. But if, if you give 10%, Of what's left over. That's not the tithe. It's an issue of priorities. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Place God first in your finances. Don't give him the leftovers. Don't hand him the scraps. Give him the best of your day. Give him the best of your emotions. Give him the best of your energy. The best of your finances. Seek him first. Seek him first. Seek him first thing in the week. The day of the Lord. That's why you're here because you're seeking God first in this week. The first thing you've done this week you can say is, I went to church to seek God. That's what it means to seek Him first thing in the week. Seek Him first thing in the day. When you get up, instead of going right to the TV or your your computer or your smartphone and Facebook, whatever. No, give God the first part of your day. Seek Him first in prayer and Bible reading. The first thing after payday, seek God first. And here's the remarkable thing about all this is that when we put God first in our lives, when we seek him first, God gives us the things that we normally worry about and say, how am I going to provide? How am I going to meet this need? We don't have to be overly concerned because God knows that we need them. And when we seek him first, he knows we're trusting him and he provides those things. He knows our heart. It's a win-win situation. It's a win-win situation. But it might require waiting. It might require patience and trust. It might require putting things off that we think we need now and waiting on the Lord. And that can be hard. Many of you are familiar with an experiment that that was conducted in Stanford uh, University Back in the late 60s and early 70s, they called this the marshmallow experiment or the marshmallow test. And what it did, it involved some, some children, some boys and girls, uh, probably 
eight or nine years old. I've seen the, the, the video a number of times. And they're placed in a room, and uh, <clears throat> they're just a room with just a chair and a table, and they place one marshmallow in front of them. And they tell these kids, don't touch it. Well, actually, what they say is, you can eat the marshmallow if you want. It's yours. You can eat it. But if you don't eat it, you wait for me to come back. Don't touch it. Just or Maybe they don't say don't touch it. They just say don't eat it. Just, you know, just leave it there. And I'll be back in a few minutes. And if you haven't eaten it when I come back, I'll give you a second marshmallow. Or, you know, they offered them pretzels or a cookie, something else. So it was like, you can eat it now or you can wait. And when I come back, you'll get double what you have there. And so the whole video is the kids just is torture. They're just sitting there and they're like looking at it. Some of them touch it. One little kid licks it, you know. <laughs> Some of them, one of them look, picks it up, he looks at it, he puts it down. A few of them just can't stand it after a while. Because this is like 15 minutes. 15 minutes of waiting, 15 minutes of torture. And one of them, he just eventually just picks it up and puts it in his mouth. You know, they just... It's hard. It's hard on kids, and it's hard on us to wait on God. But God says, okay, you do it right. You do it by the book. You do it by, by my word, and you seek me first. I'll meet your needs. It's a win-win situation. So the question for us is, how good are we at trusting God and just waiting on Him? How good are you at trusting God and waiting on Him, believing what His word says? Let me just finish with this thought. What do all of us do when we get into financial trouble? We're going to talk about that later in this, this series, how to get out of a crisis, financial crisis. But what do we do when we are in some, some kind of financial trouble? Well, we pray, right? All of us pray. It might be a short prayer. Or it might be get down on your face on the floor and call out to God. It might be a whispered prayer on the way to the bank or before you pick up the phone to call your um, creditors. Or it might be an all-out, God, help me! God, help me! I'm in trouble! I can't pay my bills! I got this thing going on, I got that going on. But we, we pray, right? When we're in financial trouble, we pray. But here's my question. If we know that when we have financial need, we're going to invite God into that situation. God, come in. Help me. I need your help here. If we know we're going to ask God for help when we face financial problems, why not just invite Him into your life right now? Why wait until you're in some kind of financial trouble, why not just say, right now, God, I, I'm going to turn my life to you and this area of my life, my finances, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to believe what your word says, I'm going to seek you, I'm going to just give my life to you, this area of my life. Doesn't that make more sense? I mean, wouldn't you rather know that when you face financial problems, you're already obeying God, you're already right there with that relationship with God, and, instead of saying, oh, God, it's me. I know you haven't heard from me in a while because we know we haven't been surrendered to God. It just makes more sense to right now say to God, forgive me for trusting 
on my own strength, my own abilities. Forgive, forgive me for seeking after the things money can buy. Because we only do one or the other. We only we either seek God and love him or we seek money and love, love money. And so it's a time to say, Lord, forgive me for that. I surrender to you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to learn what your word says about money. I want my heart to be owned by you. I want you to be the king of my heart. We can sing that song about the king of my heart while our heart is really owned by money. Don't let that happen to you. Make a decision today. You're going to obey God. You're going to surrender your heart in the area of finances to God. Seek Him first, and He will add all those things that you need in your life.